All right, thank you, Mary and Rick and Nancy and everybody this morning who's had a part in the service. If we want our lives to count for Jesus, there's no doubt we've got to do something for Jesus. Isn't that right? It's called cause and effect. You know, our life can't count for Jesus if we haven't. Uh, that's the effect of the cause of doing something for Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning is cause and effect relationships. You know what I'm talking about when you talk about a cause and effect relationship. If you do X, that's the cause, then Y will happen. That is the effect. Consider a few examples. You know, if you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light switch, you expect that the effect of that is the light will come on. If it doesn't, you call Steve and you ask him to come figure out why the light's not coming on. We're going to leave here today at some point. And some of you hope it's sooner than others, you know. You're hoping I'll hurry up and get to the main point so we can get done. But we're going to leave here at some point and going to go to the car. And you're either going to stick your key in the ignition, or if you've got one of those fancy cars, you just push the little button. And you expect the effect to be that your car cranks. Now, I know that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we get an unexpected effect. You might say, though, that I have some relationship issues with the relationship between cause and effect. Let me give you some real-life examples here. And now you, this leads directly into what we're talking about this morning. But you see, I've got some suits in the closet that they don't fit anymore. That's the effect. The cause is that I like ice cream too much and chocolate and some few other things. But see, the doctor tells me says, Jeremy, you can wear those suits again. He said, it's just a cause-effect relationship. He said, you see, if you'd eat better and, and exercise more, that's the cause. He said the effect would be that, well, those suits would come closer to fit again. But see, here's the problem. I like ice cream too much. I love the effect. And that would be, you know, hey, I could wear those smaller suits again. They're only smaller around, not up and down. I'd love the effect. I want the effect, but I don't want to have to do the cause that it will take to get to the effect. You have anything in your life that's that way? Maybe you have a similar situation to what I've got, you know. You want to have your cake and eat it too. But see, that's my problem. The whole issue, why I can't wear the suits, I want my cake and to eat it too, just like the ice cream. But life doesn't work that way. Because life, all of life, is cause and effect. Almost every aspect of our life. And so is our Christian walk. It's all cause and effect. And we see that in our text this morning in Philippians chapter 4 is where we'll be. In Philippians chapter 4 towards the end of the chapter, which is the last chapter in Philippians, so... Probably on the last page of Philippians in your Bibles, where we'll be, Philippians chapter 4. But you know, the Bible is full of cause-effect relationships. All throughout the Bible, you can see, if you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, then this will happen. It's full of cause-effect relationships. But so many times, even when we're reading God's Word, we want the effect. We just have a hard time. We struggle with doing what we're supposed to do, the cause, to get to the effect. Now, I've, I've had this particular passage of Scripture on my heart for a few weeks, and, 
And uh, for full disclosure, Brother Eric used this text, not as his main text, but as a subtext. Uh, I think the Sunday night that Brother Christie was here. And uh, I'm guilty of reading on, you know, and, and that, that night during church I was reading, and as I read this passage of Scripture during the sermon, uh, I... Uh, so it's okay if you read your Bible while I'm preaching, okay? But let's keep focused on God one way or another. But I saw something here I'd never really seen before. I had an aha moment, so to speak. I'm going to tell you what it is later, but for now I'll just tell you it has to do with a cause-effect relationship, if you haven't picked up on that already. So we're going to back up to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, so we can get some context as we go into this. So read with me, if you will. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you send aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we find here and that the fact that we can know these truths are just as, as accurate and just as true today as they were when Paul penned them. I pray that you'd speak to us this morning, that you'd give me the words that you'd have me to speak. And Father, I pray that you'd uh, give our hearts all the message that you have for us as individuals this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was, he was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter that we have here. It was a letter uh, to the church at Philippi, to the Philippian Christians. And, and so Paul writes this while he's in prison. And it's remarkable that he says some of the things that he says. Like he says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. And w- while he is imprisoned. But you know, <clears throat> the Philippian church was a church that Paul had a deep love for. It was, it was a church that scholars believe at this point when Paul wrote this letter had been established for about 10 years by the time Paul writes this letter. And as you read the letter, the entire letter from the beginning to end, you notice you, you don't find some things that you find in some letters like, like 1 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthian church. In, in that letter, you find Paul rebuking them for bad behavior or bad doctrine, those sorts of things. You don't find that in the letter to the church at Philippi. You find a, a, a letter from, from Paul commending them for their efforts. He writes this letter to thank them for a, a generous, sacrificial gift they had sent to him. 
this is a great church. And there's no doubt as you would read through the entire letter that it's a flourishing church. And you can see there from our text this morning that this is a giving church. You see, don't tune out just yet. Don't guard your checkbook or your wallet just yet. This is not a money sermon, although money is involved here, as he writes to them. This is not a sermon where I'm going to ask you to get out your checkbook and write a big check at the end. So don't tune out. This is about a lot more than money. But just look, for example, at how the Philippian church handled their money. In verse 10, Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. They've already sent an offering once before. And then they went for a while. They didn't have an opportunity to give. He says, you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Over in verse 15, he says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. It's the only church that gave to Paul. It's the only church that sent according to his need. He says in verse 16, Even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. They were a very loving and a very caring church. They were a very giving church. And I'll tell you this morning, there is a huge parallel. I believe as you study the scriptures and as you, as you look here in Philippians, there's a huge parallel between the way the church handled its money and the fact that Paul didn't have to rebuke them for bad doctrine or bad behavior. You see, I've been in churches that fought over everything over everything. They also weren't very generous churches. You know, I've been in a church that I didn't think was very strong scripturally. They were very self-centered. They weren't a very generous church. This church at Philippi is an extremely generous church. See, I've been in those other churches and then I've been at Brister. Wow! What a difference. You know the difference? It's cause and effect. We'll look at that more as we work through this text. I want you to see in this text this morning, over towards the end of what we read, three different cause and effect relationships. And yeah, Paul speaking to the, to the body of Christ at Philippi, the church at Philippi as a whole. And while these principles certainly apply to the church as a whole, these principles apply to you and me if we are a member of the body of Christ. This applies just as much to, to our personal walk with Christ and our personal life as it does to the church collectively. The first point that we'll see here comes from verse 17. And it's that giving defies math. Giving defies math. And we're not just talking about money. Now, it doesn't take much in my mind to defy math. Because there's so much of it that, you know, once they started adding letters and other things in there, I just, I am so glad my phone's got a calculator on it, so it's always right there with me, okay? I'm sorry to the math teachers in the room, but giving defies math. It doesn't make sense mathematically, but in verse 17 he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. What Paul says is when you give, your account abounds. Now here's what happens, what it looks like mathematically. You take out your checkbook to make a charitable contribution to what, whether it be the church or to another organization, you write that check, give it to them, and they deposit it, and what happens? Your bank account goes down. That's what it looks like mathematically, doesn't it? Paul said that's not really what happens. He says, 
I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Let's look at what he's talking about there. This is all throughout the Bible. This makes perfect sense scripturally. In Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, he writes there, he says, There is one who scatters, means there's one who gives, yet he increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but that leads to poverty. So there's one who doesn't write the checks, there's one who doesn't give of themselves, and that leads to poverty. It says the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also himself be watered. I want to look at the last part of that verse again real quick. It says, the generous soul. We're talking about more than money. We're talking about being generous with your time. We're, being, we're talking about being generous with your love. We're talking about being generous and pouring into someone else in some way. Now, yes, that might include money. But he says, the generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will himself be watered. So we look at that and you say, you want to know why there are so many spiritually dry Christians? Do you want to know why? If you feel like you're spiritually dry, do you want to know why you may be spiritually dry? Maybe it's because you've been too self-absorbed to pour into somebody else. Now don't get mad at me. Solomon said it. Not me. He said, if you invest in others, then you will be watered and you will be poured into. In Proverbs 22, verse 9, he says, he who has a generous eye will be blessed. Bring it into the New Testament. And Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. And then Jesus said something we all ought to really listen to. We ought to listen to this last line here. Jesus said, for with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now I know sometimes we want to give, just as, whether we're giving of ourselves, whether we're giving of our time, whether we're giving of our money, we want to know, what's the least I can do and meet the expectation? Well, if that's our attitude, then God's going to bless us with the least he can get by with. I didn't say that. Jesus himself said that. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, Paul said this. He said, but I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you may know, you may have heard before, that word cheerful comes from the same Greek word that we get the word hilarious. So next week, when that offering plate comes by, you ought to just drop your check in and just bust out laughing as loud as you can and see how many people look at you really weird. But that's the attitude that Paul says we ought to give, whether we're given money, or whether we're giving of ourselves, whatever we are giving, we ought to do cheerfully. It comes down to this. Our life and our relationship with God is one big cause-effect relationship 
if you want to grow in any area of your life, if you want to grow, you've got to give. It's cause-effect. The second cause-effect relationship I want to point out this morning is it comes, comes from the idea that acceptable giving is all about attitude. It's not just write the check and there, I met the goal. It's the right attitude. Whatever you're giving. In verse 18, Paul says this. He says, indeed, I have all and abound. He says, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things, you sent, the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He said, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. They didn't send him an apple pie, okay? They, I mean, what smells better than, than that cinnamon and apple wafting through the house as you've baked an apple pie, you know? Wonderful smell. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's, he's hearkening back. He's, he's thinking back to the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. And specifically in Exodus chapter 29, verse 18, as well as some other places, it says this. They were instructed in this way. They, it says, and you shall burn the whole realm on the altar. Listen to this, about, about their burnt offering. It says, it is a burnt offering to the Lord, a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So in the Old Testament, their, their sacrificial offerings to the Lord of the burnt realms, the burnt offerings, given with the right attitude, God receives those as a sweet-smelling aroma, they were taught. And so as Paul talks to the Philippian Christian, he says, that's the way God views your giving today. When you give with the right attitude. What was the right attitude? Well, Paul told the Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That has to do with attitude because what, you're tre- what you treasure determines your attitude. Whether we treasure our money or our time or whatever it is or whether we treasure our relationship with God, that determines our attitude. Paul said, given with the right attitude, your gift is a sweet aroma to the Lord. But remember, this isn't a money sermon. So we'll go to, the, to Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. He says, therefore, by him, by, by Jesus Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So the writer of Hebrews says, you can give a sacrifice to God from your mouth by praising God for what he's blessed you with. That is giving a sacrifice to God. Praising Him verbally to other people, out loud, in public. By singing songs of worship instead of looking like a bump on the log, right? Give a sacrifice of praise. But He didn't stop there. He says to give a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. He says, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. What sacrifices please God? He says doing good and sharing. 
That sharing involves the checkbook. It involves some type of material transfer, whether it's money or whether you're giving food to, to a family in need or whether you're taking something over to a family that's bereaved, taking food over to them. That is sharing. But he says also do good. He says that's the type of things we ought to be giving to God. Praise from our mouth, doing good things for others, even if they don't deserve it. And sharing. It's cause and effect. When we give or otherwise obey God with the right attitude, the effect is He is pleased. And I don't know about you, but you know, I want God to be pleased with me. It seems like that when He is pleased with us, doesn't it make sense He would bless us more than if He was displeased with us? says he's pleased when we obey him. It's cause and effect. One final point this morning, one final cause and effect relationship comes from verse 19. And it's the fact that proper giving evokes a response from God. God responds to proper giving. In verse 19, read that again with me. He says, and my God, this is the most misquoted verse of this whole passage. He says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We love to quote that verse. Oh, it's a wonderful verse to quote. You know, you're sitting on hard times, say, but I know the Bible says God will supply all my needs. Just like we misquote, and all things work together for good. Well, the Bible doesn't stop there either. You know, it says to those who, uh, who obey God, those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. But look how that verse starts. And. Now, it's been a long time since I took a a grammar class. But last time I took a grammar class, of course, they told me you shouldn't start a sentence with what they call a conjunction. I think that's what it's called. But Paul started his sentence with a conjunction there, which tells me that's not the beginning of the thought. All we have in verse 19 is the effect. Oh, but we love to claim that effect. Just like I want to claim the effect that those suits can fit again without doing all the hard work or giving up my ice cream. But by looking at that conjunction there at the beginning and seeing that and, it tells us that if we want to claim verse 19, we've got to do something else. There's something else that has to happen before we can get the effect that is verse 19. What do we have to do? Everything we've already talked about. The things that we talked about in verse 18, where he, where he said he had received that sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. You see, it is only after we are obedient in giving that God meets our need. That's what Paul says. That's what I wrote down uh, the, other, the other Sunday night as we were reading through this. I just made this note in my Bible down here. It says, God's meeting our need comes only after we're obedient to give. If your need is to be spiritually watered, well, we already read from the Proverbs where it says you need to be watering others. 
If, 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 you're, if your problem is financial, well, you pray for God to bless you, but yet you're not obeying Him where finances are concerned. See, it's only after we obey that He blesses. And so we look at just the effect. I'd venture to say that every person in the room, we want God to meet our needs. I would ask for a show of hands to say, if anyone doesn't want God to meet your needs, would you raise your hand? And then I would just ask him to give me your portion. But, uh, but I'm not going to embarrass anyone. But, because I would venture to say that every person in the room wants God to meet their needs. But God doesn't promise to meet all of our physical needs just because we're saved. If we're saved, he promises to take us take care of us into eternity. He promised us eternal life. But in this life, meeting our need is based upon our obedience to Him. And I told you this was directed at the church and is lived out right here. It's amazing how many times people come here for the first time. When we met with the architect that we hired to do our master plan, and when he came the first time, to meet with our committee. And he pulled up and he told us, he said he wasn't expecting to see the paved parking lot with the curbs and, and, and the nice buildings. And you don't see very many churches out in the country that have facilities as nice as we have. I believe with all my heart that the reason God has blessed us with what we have is because of the principles applied right here in Philippians chapter 4. It's funny, people will... will well, I talk to people in town, and they say, oh, I've seen that big church going down to Emerson. Y'all must have a lot of rich people in that church. And see, then that's my response to them, too. I laugh at them. No. You look around at what God has blessed this church with, it's cause and effect. That's all that's happened here is the living out of this cause and effect principle that we find in Philippians chapter 4. Because this church, just like the Philippian church, you've been faithful to support missionaries on foreign soil, just like the, the commitment to, to give $5,000 to Brother Christie and, and to then attempt to match that. Oh, I hope we send him a check for fifteen or 20000 I mean, I hope you come out and match it in a big way. Been faithful to meet the needs of the people right here in our community. It wasn't very long ago, someone told Brother Eric and I about a larger church in our region that their bank account was dwindling. They said, that church, that only got about $2,000 in the bank. Brother Eric looked at me later and he said, you know, we've had spur-of-the-moment love offerings and taken up that much money. It's because you're willing to be obedient to God to use what he has blessed you with to then in turn bless somebody else. It's why he's blessed us as a church, why he continues to bless us as a church, because of our obedience to him. And so as I said earlier, if this, if this promise, if this principle applies to the body of Christ as a whole, it certainly applies to every one of us as individual members. So the question that remains that we ask ourselves to bring this all together this morning is, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? Maybe, for some, it could be a multifaceted situation. 
Maybe for some it's a financial question. And so we ask ourselves, have I been obedient to God in my finances? I just say this, and I leave it alone because it'd be a whole other sermon. I don't want to get off on this soapbox too much. But I'm determined in reading Scripture that God does not financially bless those who don't tithe. That's 10%, by the way. A tithe, 10%. A tithe can never be less than 10%. That's mathematically, that's proven fact. That's math. A tithe is 10%. But maybe for others, that need, that question that remains, how does this apply to me? Maybe it's just because you felt all spiritually dried up. Maybe it's just you felt like, I feel a little distant from God. Let me tell you about a cause-effect relationship. Attempt to get close to God. He will get close to you. I don't know how all of it applies to each one of us. But God's Word promises that He seeks out those who seek after Him. God's Word promises that Jesus Christ came for the purpose to seek and save Him who was lost. So this morning, as the musicians prepare for the invitation, I I don't know what aspect of your life may need a do-over of some cause-effect relationships. I don't know where this leaves you. But I hope it leaves you at least maybe awakened to the fact that our lives are all the result of cause-effect relationships. God designed us to live in a certain way. And when we stray from the way He designed us to live, the effect is never good. So maybe we need to get back close to how He designed us to live. But the most important cause-effect relationship in the history of the entire world is in Romans chapter 10. And it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you want to hear the effect? You will be saved. You will be guaranteed a place in eternity forever if only you trust in Him. This morning, Jesus Christ is What a way to end the service. There's nothing Brother Eric and I would love to do more than to share the gospel with you on a on a more detailed level. Well, however God's laid this message on your heart this morning, I hope you'll take care of it as we stand and we sing.